0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Her Head in Films. I'm Caitlin and I'm your host. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and feelings about the films that I watch. They tend to be art house and world cinema. What makes this podcast unique is that I weave together my life experiences with an in-depth discussion of the films that I love. I explore the impact that cinema has on me and why I connect so deeply to it. As I like to say, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. Obviously, today I'm not talking about films. I am wrapping up Sharp Objects. This will be my last recap episode, and I'll tell you all of my thoughts and feelings and complicated emotions about the finale. It's been a great journey. It's been wonderful to bring you these recap episodes and to share my own very deep and personal connect connection to this show and why it means so much to me. So I hope that you will stick around and listen to the full episode. I do want to give you a content warning. If you are a viewer of Sharp Objects, you know that there is very um, difficult stuff in this series. So I do talk about violence. I talk about self-harm. I talk about mental illness, um, sexuality, and things like that. So just be warned that I do talk about those subjects. Her Head and Films has a Patreon where you can financially support the podcast on a monthly basis and also access rewards and extras. You can find more information at patreoncom films. That's patreo ncom backslash films. At one level, you get a shout out on each episode. So I'd love to give a shout out to my wonderful patrons Tyler, Max, David, Juan, Iris, Teal, JD, Vanessa, Spunden, Polina, Olivia, Carolyn, Jesse, Feminist Overlord, Michelle, and Lindsay. Thank you all so much for being patrons. You definitely make this podcast possible. If financial support is not an option for you, and I definitely understand if it isn't, Please consider reviewing the podcast on iTunes and or Stitcher. If you write a review on iTunes, I will read it on a future episode of Her Head and Films. You could also tell your friends and followers about the podcast if you think that what I talk about would maybe resonate with them or you could just send me an encouraging message or write a comment or interact with me in a positive way on social media. You don't know how much that means to me. It, like it is so important because I struggle with so many self-doubts and insecurities. And so when I get messages like that, they really do help me and they often always find me at really low times when I need them the most. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Her Head in Films. Just search for me and I'll pop up and you can see links to all my social media accounts listed in the show notes of each episode. So let's talk about Sharp Objects. Well, it's been an intense and fascinating ride to watch this series and to share my recap episodes and to share my thoughts as the show was unfolding without really knowing what was going to happen. Now, I will admit, um, recently I did sort of read a spoiler about what was going to happen. It actually inadvertently happened. I wasn't choosing for it to happen. I was reading a review of some book And the ending to Sharp Objects was given away. Who the killer was, it being Amma, was given away. And so I I didn't know that was going to be in the review. And it was just there. And so I kind of did know, sort of near the end of the series, what was going to happen. Who the murderer was going to be and, and all of that. So I will be honest about that. But I still enjoyed watching the series and I really had to come to, to terms with that spoiler because I would have preferred not to know. Um, it it would have changed the experience that I had of the series, but I had to make peace with it and just, it is what it is. So I hope that these recap episodes have been valuable to you. It's the first time I've ever done them before. And so they may not be perfect, but I hope that they were valuable. So I'm going to talk about the last two episodes, Episode 7, Falling, and Episode 8, Milk, and I'm going to give you my thoughts, and I'll definitely dig deeper into the finale, because that is the most important part, right? That's what we've all been waiting for, and it it left things unresolved to a certain extent. It was very abrupt. It was very shocking. Um... So I'll talk about all that, but first I want to start with episode seven and what happened in it, and it's called Falling, and this was actually a really important episode in the series because this is when we finally start to realize what Adora has been doing, that she was poisoning Marion, that she killed Marion, So we find out that Adora has Munchausen by proxy. And according to WMD, um, Munchausen syndrome by proxy, MSP, or Munchausen by proxy, is a psychological disorder marked by attention-seeking behavior by a caregiver through those who are in their care. MSP is a relatively rare behavioral disorder. It affects a primary caretaker, often the mother. The person with MSP gains attention by seeking medical help for exaggerated or made-up symptoms of a child in his or her care. As health care providers strive to identify who's causing the child's symptoms, the deliberate actions of the mother or caretaker can often make the symptoms worse. So that is a breakdown sort of, of, of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. And I don't know how well other people are familiar with it. I'm very familiar with it. Because I used to watch true crime shows in the 1990s. And there was one hosted by Bill Curtis, who I really love. And it was called American Justice. And I do think that there were a few stories about Munchausen. And just there were various stories that I watched in the 90s on these different documentary shows. These different true crime shows that absolutely talked about Munchausen. And if you've seen M. Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense... I won't give away the ending of the film for you, but there is a girl in that film whose mother is hurting her and is poisoning her. And that's also another instance where Munchausen has been in the, in the news or has been in mainstream or pop culture. Just last year in 2017, there was an HBO documentary released called Mommy Dead and Dearest. It's directed by Aaron Lee Carr. It's about a young girl named Gypsy Rose Blanchard who killed her mother Dee Dee Blanchard after Dee Dee had abused her for much of her life by intentionally making her sick and telling doctors that she had conditions that she didn't have and inducing those conditions. Um, Gypsy was confined to a wheelchair, Gypsy had to go through all kinds of surgeries. Um, it is It's a very interesting documentary, and Gypsy ended up killing her mother. She met this boy online, and the two of them together killed her. And Gypsy was given 10 years in prison. And so the documentary features interviews with Gypsy, interviews with her family, including her father, um, who had divorced Dee Dee and didn't understand the extent of what was going on. But Dee Dee had created really this elaborate charade. Of pretending like Gypsy was sick and making Gypsy sick, confining Gypsy, um, and not letting her have a life or have any kind of freedom and making her ill. You know, it's a form of child abuse. She was abusing Gypsy. That's what she was doing. And um, Gypsy wanted to be free of that, and she met this boy, and that's what they that's what they did. So the documentary is very interesting. And it gives you a lot to think about because what does that abuse by a parent do to the child and how does that abuse then become, um, repeated, you know, cause look at Gypsy. She was having abuse done to her. She was having a form of violence done to her and she then inflicted violence on her mother and, um, so we see how that that trauma and that violence are handed down from the mother to the daughter, from the caretaker to the victim, you know, when it comes to Munchausen. Munchausen is quite rare. It, it's not a very common disorder, but it does happen and it has been documented, you know. And so this story, this series, the book by Gillian Flynn is engaging with the question of Of the damage that women can do to one another. Because the whole time, you know, with these two girls, Ann and Natalie, being murdered, everybody is thinking, well, it must be a man. It must be a man. And it isn't. It's a woman. And we are uncomfortable with looking at or thinking about the violence that women do. We're very uncomfortable with it. You know, I think of when I first learned about Lizzie Borden. And is it is it likely that Lizzie Borden murdered her parents? Yes. And there's actually a recent film. There's a film that's about to come out about Lizzie Borden. It has uh, Kristen Stewart and Chloe Sevigny in it. I'm not particularly interested in it, but it is it is coming out. And Lizzie Borden, you know, that happened in the 1800s. Angela Carter, by the way, has a wonderful short story about Lizzie Borden. Um, I think it's called The Fall River Axe Murders. I want to say that's what it's called. I love her story. But Lizzie Borden really got off. She got found not guilty, really because this all-male jury could not conceive that a woman could commit this murder, that a woman could inflict this kind of violence. We still have a lot of trouble thinking about women's violence or coming to terms with it. And I'm reading this really great book by Bell Hooks. It's called The Will to Change, Men, Masculinity, and Love. And she talks about masculinity, obviously. And she talks about patriarchy in the book. But she had this passage about women's violence that I wanted to share. Because I thought of it when I was watching Sharp Objects. So Bell Hooks writes, in patriarchal culture, women are as violent as men toward the groups that they have power over and can dominate freely. Usually that group is children or weaker females. Like its male counterpart, much female violence toward children takes the form of emotional abuse, especially verbal abuse and shaming. Hence, it is difficult to document Maternal sadism must be studied, however, if we are to understand the roots, the roots of adult male violence toward women. Unquote. I won't go into everything about this book, but I thought this passage was important. That when it comes to violence, when it comes to murder, it's not necessarily gendered. It's about somebody abusing their power over another person, and women are fully capable of that especially if it's children, especially if they're in a caretaking position where they have power over another person, they are capable of violence as well. And that's what we see in Sharp Objects is that Adora has power over her daughters and she does violence to them. Adora herself brings up instances where her own mother was cruel towards her So we see how this violence is passed down by women at times and it's just not something we talk about. I don't know how widespread it is. My mother, I I was not abused by my mother. I've never encountered that but some people do have really abusive mothers and that should be talked about obviously. So you know um But women are just as capable of violence as men are. And I think that's what Sharp Objects is trying to show us. And something I never got to talk about in these episodes was how the show, I think, does a really good job of showing how cruel teenage girls can be. You know, I remember being a girl. I remember being a teenager. And I myself was not a cruel person, but I could often be the victim of violence. of other women, you know, and of their cruelty, and how vicious they can be. And I liked that the show explored that and talked about it, because I think it's something that a lot of women don't know how to deal with. You know, I'm a feminist, I believe in supporting women, I believe in sisterhood, But when you're a teenage girl, you don't always feel that. You don't always feel that support from other women. And of course, that is a product of patriarchy. It's a product of living in a culture that makes women very competitive, that makes women very critical of each other and how we look and how we act. Um, But it is, it's hard to navigate that world as a teenage girl. And AMMA, And her friends are sort of the perfect embodiment of that. You know, roller skating around. And, you know, Emma can be very vicious towards Camille. And so girls can be very mean to each other. And there's actually this very interesting film television movie from the 1990s. And I don't know what it's called, but it has Tiffany Amber Thiessen in it. And I've always been haunted by this movie. And the story, because it was based on a true story that actually happened about this girl played by Tiffany Amber Thiessen, where um, she went to meet her friend somewhere, like in the woods, and they ended up murdering her and putting her body in a like a like like a stream and putting a log on top of her to drown her. And they did it because one of the girls... Was interested in a boy or something. And the Tiffany Amber Thiessen character had flirted with him. Or talked to him. Or maybe he was interested in Tiffany instead of that girl. And so that girl she was like a teenager. I think it had Patty Duke in it too. And she went and murdered her. And then went and pretended to the mother. Like she was all worried. You know and I think she even moved in with Patty Duke. The person that killed you know, her daughter moved in and was living in her house and acting all worried like, oh, who who did this? Who would do this? And of course, they found out it was other girls who had done it. And so watching Sharp Objects brought that story up for me that there are these stories of teenage girls inflicting violence on each other and killing each other at times. And those stories need to be told as well, just as much as we're talking about male violence against women. You know, um, it's about having power over another person. And and if you think about it, you know, Adora probably felt very powerless when her mother was hurting her. And Amma probably felt very powerless when Adora was hurting her. And so the only kind of power that they can reach for is the violence. And we see that at the very end where when we see Emma strangling and killing these girls. And the look on her face of like pleasure you know of enjoying it to a certain extent of having that power so episode seven it's called falling and this is really an important episode because Richard Detective Richard starts to look into things and he starts to find medical records and he starts to realize that Adora was poisoning um Marion and that Adora is the one that killed Marion really and um, and he also realizes that not only did Adora kill Marion and poison her, and he's all she's also doing it to Emma. And um, this also is the episode when Emma starts to be confined in the house, where um, she becomes sick, and her friends come to the house and ask about her if she can come out, and they won't let her, and. Adora confiscates Emma's cell phone. And so she starts to be confined and and poisoned and sickened by Adora. And we start to see that happening. This is also the episode when John Keane, Natalie's brother, is arrested for the murder. And they actually um, break into the hotel room or the motel room where John and Camille are together because Camille believes that John's innocent and she goes to see him at a bar and they start to talk and they sort of have this connection through losing a sister. And so I thought this episode did a good job at at looking at the way that grief can sometimes bond us with other people. Like when I see somebody else grieving or when I hear about another woman who's lost a father, I have to say that I do feel a kinship to a certain extent. Um, Like I feel like I understand a little bit of that pain and it's like you want to help them or soothe them, but it's hard to know what to do and it's hard to know what to say because at the end of the day, everybody has to bear grief in their own way. There's not a lot anybody else can do. You know, people can make your life a little easier and they can offer comfort and they can help you, but you still have to like live with it and cope with it and that's within your own head and your own mind, but you can tell that Camille feels this connection to John, because she can tell that he is sensitive, that he is mourning Natalie, that he is upset about what has happened, and to add to his grief, he's been a suspect the entire time, You know, I think this is also a series that shows how the police can be wrong. How in these little hole-in-the-wall towns, these little tiny towns with these law enforcement agencies that never handle murders and don't always know what the hell they're doing, that innocent people can easily be arrested, you know. And the whole time they think it's John Keene, it was never John Keene. You know, the whole time it was Emma. And I think this is also the kind of series where you'll go back and rewatch episodes and you'll notice things that you didn't notice. And I definitely hope to rewatch the series because I just love it so much. Um, but probably one of the most powerful scenes of the entire series is when, through their shared grief, you know, and their shared pain. Camille and John go back to the motel room and have sex with each other and it's just this incredibly it's erotic but it's also emotionally powerful and very moving because up to this point when Camille has been with Detective Richard Willis played by Chris Messina she has not showed her body She has kept her clothes on, unwilling to expose herself in that way and to be vulnerable in that way, perhaps sensing that Richard would not be able to handle it, would not be accepting of it because her trauma is written on her body, you know, through these words that she has put on her body. Her her body and skin are like a text and she hides that from Richard, you know, But with John, I guess through that shared grief, she's willing to open up. She's willing to unpeel her clothes. And he undresses her and he reads the words on her skin. Um, And I think she feels completely safe with him. That instead of being horrified by her scars and what's on her body, that he is accepting of it. That he kisses her skin. That he's loving and tender with her. And I think she finds something with John that maybe she's never found with another man. And it's a really beautiful scene. Like, he's very kind and caring towards her. Kissing those scars. Kissing the words. Um, And so, that was a really beautiful scene. And then all of a sudden, the police uh, tear down the door. And of course, there's Detective Richard Willis. There's Messina, and he sees her with John, and of course, Richard is the complete opposite of John in that scene. You know, whereas she had felt like that tenderness and sensitivity with John, Richard calls her a drunken slut, calls her that. That's lovely, and he also tells her, quote, one bad thing happened to you. No, he's and he says to her, quote, one bad thing happened. And you blamed the rest of your shitty life on it, unquote. And that went through me like a knife, I have to tell you. Because that's really relatable for me. It's like I had one trauma in my life. The death of my father when I was 16. And it happened in 2006. So, I mean, it's been 12 years now. I had that one thing happen to me. And I've never been able to move past it. I've sort of been frozen at the age of 16 in a lot of ways. I've been frozen inside that pain and that trauma. And I haven't known how to move past it. If I can move past it. If that's even possible for me. And yeah, I guess I do blame things on it. You know, I guess I do. I guess it is my excuse. I guess it is... My cross that I bear or the albatross across my neck or around my neck, you know. But I think that some of us go through things that are so devastating and so shattering that we don't come back from them or we don't come back from them in the same form. You know, I think a lot about the First World War don't ask me why. It's like an obsession of mine because it really is one of the most senseless bloodbaths in history to me. That millions of people died for nothing. You know, it, it was that kind of senseless war. Um, you really cannot find any kind of justification for it. But something that always haunts me about the First World War and, and photos of it. Are the men that came back from the trenches with parts of their bodies missing. Or with disfigurement. And when you see those photos, it's just, it's seared into your brain, right? It's just so haunting. And I think grief or I think trauma is something similar. That there is sort of an internal disfigurement or deformation that happens. That you just are not in the same form as you were before that trauma. And you may ache to go back to who you were before. Like I wish to God I could go back to the before. You know, I wish I could go back to not having depression. Not having the terrible, terrible anxiety that has come from his death. Not having the agoraphobia that I still struggle with. That I still... I don't know if it will ever leave me. And just the fear and the dread that I feel every day that I wake up. Of what am I going to lose next? What is going to happen next? What terrible thing is coming, you know? And I don't think any 16 year old should have to feel that or fear that or think about that. But that's what his death brought. It's what it came what's what came into my life. and it's what I've lived with for twelve years and that I continue to live with. So I think it's fitting in a way that Camille has those words and those scars because it it represents that she is not the person she was before marion's death or before the trauma of whatever else happened to her because we don't fully know i thought the finale would wrap things up a little bit more um we don't know really what happened to her in the woods like we kept seeing flashbacks of her in the woods with these boys and I'm going to assume that, that a rape happened or, or something violent happened to her. Her life has been punctuated by moments of violence and trauma. And it's part of her body, it's part of her soul, you know. And she is trying to come to terms with it. She has returned to Wind Gap to try to face it and confront it. And of course, the whole irony of the whole show is. Is that she's looking for the killer, everybody's looking for the killer, and the killer is right under her roof. The killers are the killer is right in front of her in the form of Emma, you know it was her the whole time, the girl she tried to love and take in and care for, you know, but the girl that she couldn't save, just like she couldn't save Marion. From Adora she couldn't save Emma from Adora either and the violence that Adora did to Emma is what caused Emma to become the killer that she did she couldn't save Anne she couldn't save Natalie she couldn't save Alice she couldn't save Marion she couldn't save Emma she couldn't even save herself that is the that is sometimes the brutal truth and reality of life is that we cannot save the people that we love and we can't save ourselves either but we can try to find a way to survive and to live that is what trauma does to us you know that we just try to find a way to survive and live so but when when detective willis when richard says that to her you know one bad thing happened and you blamed the rest of your shitty life on it yeah, I get that. That resonated with me in a lot of ways. In this episode, we also find out that there were people that knew what was happening. So the whole town is implicated in a lot of ways. That Adora's friend Jackie, played by the magnificent Elizabeth Perkins, and I tell you, I didn't know I missed Elizabeth Perkins so much, but I did. I have missed Elizabeth Perkins. And I like her in Sharp Objects. I hope she'll be in more things. Um, she had a feeling about what was going on with Marion, that Adora was poisoning her, sickening her. She didn't really do anything. But at the same time I wondered I had a little bit of sympathy for Jackie because look at Adora. She has money. She has power. she has status in that town. Who is going to believe that she is poisoning her daughters or or her one daughter, Marion? Who is going to believe Jackie? Doesn't mean Jackie shouldn't have tried harder, but why wasn't something done? Why didn't the doctors step in? Why didn't the nurses step in? There was a nurse. Um, in this episode, we find out that there was a nurse who was suspicious of what was going on, but she eventually got fired, I think, um, for even bringing it up. So, you know, um, and some and that's a similar thing that you, you think about with the HBO documentary, Mommy Dead and Dearest, was that as Gypsy was going through all this, Why weren't the doctors more suspicious? I think there was one. There might have been one or two or something. I saw this documentary a year ago. Um, There was a doctor, I think, who was a bit suspicious. But he didn't really push it. He didn't maybe take it as far as he could have. But what do you do when here is this woman who on the outside just seems perfect and loving? And what evidence do you have? You know, the doctors just trusted Dee Dee, the mother. Um, Dee Dee would say that Gypsy had these symptoms. Gypsy was going through certain things. And the doctors just implicitly trusted that she was telling the truth. And they performed operations and surgeries on Gypsy that she did not need. And she suffered because of it. Gypsy's father didn't realize what was going on. Um, A lot of people you know, just, they didn't see it. They didn't notice it. Dee Dee herself was sort of an outcast in her own family. I don't even think a lot of people in in Dee Dee's family even liked her. You know, she was seen as like a con artist. So that documentary, I think, is a really good thing to pair with Sharp Objects, just if you want a little bit more information about Munchausen or just this story that's very fascinating and that has a lot of complexities to it. But so there were people who maybe could have stepped in for Emma or for Marion who didn't. You know, this whole town really is implicated in this. Um, And I read this review on The Ringer by Miles Surrey. And I've been trying to stay away from reviews and stuff just because I want to form my own opinions. But he writes, or they write, um... Something really important, I think, and that I wanted to share I wanted to share this paragraph from it, from it because they are talking about how the show really implicates the whole town and all of that and so here is the paragraph quote for as culpable as Adora is for poisoning Emma repeatedly, as Detective Willis notes at the hospital, she likely built up a tolerance to a deadly concoction that included antifreeze. "'prescription drugs, and rat poison, "'and Amma is, for, well, committing the murders, "'it's Wind Gap's complicity that feels most resonant. "'Whether it was turning the other cheek "'to Adora's domestic terrors, "'as Chief Vickery and Jackie O'Neill did for years,' letting boys be boys and sexually victimize Camille and other teen girls, or literally participating in the murders of Anne and Natalie. In the post credit scenes, Emma's two roller-skating buddies appeared to be next to her. Wind Gap allowed awful violence toward women to pervade the town for decades. It never moved past Millie Calhoun's savage rape and murder at the hands of Union soldiers during the Civil War, the story on which the town was founded. Windgap's perverse annual holiday, Calhoun Day, wasn't just a memorial, but a yearly institutionalization of horrific and unavoidable violence, unquote. So Miles Surrey puts it better than I probably ever can that. This was a town that allowed this kind of violence. They didn't do anything when these girls were being sexually victimized. And they certainly weren't going to do anything when girls were being murdered. Or when girls were being poisoned by their mothers. So this whole town, you know, is implicated in this. And it's when she's talking to Jackie that Camille finally realizes um what adora has been doing you know she she has found out about you know the poisoning and stuff like that and and she finally puts it together and she's in the car she's breaking down she's crying to her editor her editor curry um who comes in the last episode who will show up but that's that's the conversation that makes him drive to wind gap that's what we realize later on is that he can he can tell that she's falling apart and she knows that her mother did it. She's convinced that Adora has killed Natalie and Anne and obviously that she killed Marion and of course that she's doing it again with Emma. and then we see Adora with Emma making her vomit and so everything is really coming to a head and so now let's talk about the finale. Um, the last episode, like, I think people will probably debate it for a very long time. You know, it's, I think it is kind of controversial, um, especially the ending, which I will get to those last few moments. Um, so Camille arrives at the house and everyone's having dinner and Emma has this flower crown on her head. And I thought it was really interesting when she talked about Persephone, you know, and being queen of the underworld. And if you know your Greek mythology, um, that's, a, that's an important reference, you know. And Camille asks Adora if Amma can come live with her in St. Louis. And this is also the point at which Camille starts to sort of feign being sick. And she does that to take the attention off of Amma. She's trying to save Amma because she couldn't save Marion. But if she can get Adora to focus on her then Emma can be saved in some way or, or, you know, just take the attention off of her. And of course, Adora puts Camille to bed and she gives her medicine, you know, in quotes, obviously, it's actually a mixture of different drugs, antifreeze, rat poison. We don't know what's in this concoction, but she's giving it to Camille. And all of this is a ploy, you know, to try to save Emma. She tells Emma later on, you know, go, go get Richard. Emma never leaves to go get Richard. She stays in the house. She encounters Alan, who tells her to go back to bed and things like that. Um, and I think this is also when we start to realize that Alan is much more complicit in this than we first realized. That Alan seems to know what Adora is doing. Because later on when Richard arrives and comes to the door and wants to see Camille, Alan turns him away. So Alan in many ways has been an an enabler of Adora's behavior. And I really, you know, this episode made me think more about how so much happens in families that we can't see that we are inundated with social media nowadays, where we see people's beautifully and perfectly curated lives on Instagram or Facebook, and they're smiling, and they've got family pictures, you know, the father with the children, and then you hear that the father killed the children and the wife. You know, who could have seen it coming? You don't always know what's going on inside the four walls of a home, and I know that's cliche to say, but I think these stories, I think true crime especially, intrigues people the way it does. And it's become like a national obsession. And Sharp Objects would be part of, I think, this wave of interest in crime stories, in crime fiction. You know, what intrigues people is that you can see this outward facade and people seem normal and people seem loving and you think that you know them, but you really don't know them at all. And how can a person go from being like that, you know, posing for a picture or, you know, out and about smiling, being a, a somewhat decent person. And then how can they go and murder their wives or murder their children or murder another person? You know, how how does that happen? And I think we can't answer it. And so we keep watching these shows or reading these books the way I do thinking that maybe there's an answer when there's not, you know it's like, I'll never understand it. I'll never make sense of it of how people can do this kind of violence, how a mother can poison and sicken her own child to get attention for herself so that people will feel bad for her or feel sympathy for her. And at one point Chief Vickery says that about Adora. He says that Adora likes her attention you know, she likes to get attention. She likes to be seen as the victim. And she uses her children to get that attention and to create this facade and create this image of herself as this loving and doting mother, just the way that Dee Dee Blanchard did. And in this episode, you know, Adora is doing all this, she's committing all this violence. And then there at the police station interrogating John Kane, who has nothing to do with these murders. You know, um, what I thought was really interesting about this series that I wanted to touch on for a moment was the way that the police were represented. Like, this is not Sherlock Holmes. This is not like a really great police force or detective on top of their game. And this is also not a police procedural, which is... I think there's been some criticisms of the show. That it's not, oh, who's the bad guy? And what are the clues? And it, it never focused on that. You know, it was always about Camille and Emma and Adora. And this trauma and mental illness. And it was, it's slower. It's, it's more um, meandering and, and sort of um, abstract or impressionistic in a way you know it's about the lights and the colors and the memories and the flashbacks and the music and you enter into that world and it's not about well who are the suspects and how are the police uh finding who did this it decentralizes the um the police investigation which is not how most shows like this are but it absolutely decentralizes it And it also shows how sort of tedious and boring and time-consuming and meandering police investigations can be. That there's not always a smoking gun. That sometimes the police come across a crime scene and they have no idea who did it. And that scares people to death. You know, unsolved crimes scare people. They want to believe that they know who did this, that they know the bad guy, that the police are going to come in and swoop in and find out who did it. And the truth is, is that sometimes we don't know. Sometimes the police simply don't know. And sometimes they get lucky and they come across a break and sometimes they don't. And it'll become a cold case for years and years and years a lot of these police investigations are haphazard. A lot of them are happenstance and luck and good fortune that somebody talks or there is a clue left behind, but a lot of times there isn't. And they were about to arrest and prosecute John Keene, who hadn't even done it. He could have easily become a wrongfully convicted person because this small town police force wanted to put him away. And they had the power to do that. They had the institutional power to do that. But we see how easily these police departments can go after the obvious suspect and somebody could be wrongfully convicted as a result. Where the real murderer, whole time, is, you know, on roller skates (laughs) going through the town and nobody thinks that it's her. And so Camille really. It seems to us like Camille's going to die. She's struggling to walk. She's nauseous. She's vomiting. Um, At one time, she's in the bathtub and she's throwing up. And when she's in the bathtub, Adora tells her that Camille is most like her. And Adora talks a bit about her mother. How her mother would punish her when she was a child by taking her to the woods and leaving her there. And that she had to find her way home. So that's another clue as to the way that violence and trauma can be handed down. That Adora was abused by her mother. And she in turn has abused her children. And she's gotten away with it because of her money and her power in the town. And Camille really thinks that she's dying. I mean, it looks like Camille could possibly die. And like I said, Richard at this point shows up. He comes to the door. He wants to know is Camille there? Cause her car's there, and Alan won't let him in. And so this is the time I think when we finally realize how complicit and what an enabler Alan has been. And it looks like he's going to leave, and we think that he has left, and Camilla's just writhing on the floor. She's having these these flashbacks. I think it's very poignant that when she is starting to sort of lose consciousness and all of that that she thinks of Marion that she thinks about being with her her sister um and all of a sudden while Camille's lying there we see these lights that start to flash on the ceiling cuz she's looking up at the ceiling and we see the cop lights you know the the flashing blue and red lights And then Camille imagines Marion beside her on the floor. And Richard shows up. Curry shows up. Her editor, who is really like her father to her. You know, Curry really seems like he's been um, a father figure to her. And he takes her in his arms. And Richard sees some of the scars on her body. sees some of the words. And you can tell that he is really um, put off by it. You know, so Frank Curry, that's her editor, he just takes her in his arms and he's holding her. And he is the person who has always been there for her throughout all of this. He's the one who's called her, you know, that she's been talking on the phone to. And of course, he's also the one that sent her back there. I got to thinking about that. I'm like, you know, her editor sent her back there into the jaws of the lion, right? He sent her back into that danger. Maybe he didn't realize how dangerous it was. But she went back there and it could have killed her. It's sort of re-traumatizing her in a lot of ways. I mean, think about what she's gone through and what she has seen. You know, she saw Natalie's body with the teeth missing. You know, she herself is being killed or, you know, Adora is trying to kill her, it seems like. Um, I mean, she's really being sort of re-traumatized by having to go back to Wind Gap, um, and to face those demons. But sometimes those demons can almost kill you. And they almost kill Camille in a lot of ways. And so part of me was sort of mad at the editor. (laughs) Like, why did you send her back into this? You sent her into this danger. But if she hadn't gone back, I guess they wouldn't have figured out who did all of this, although they still have the wrong person because they think that it's Adora. They find pliers in Adora's house and they arrest Adora for these murders. They take Camille and Emma to the hospital and obviously they're saved and they get and they get better. And at the hospital Richard comes and apologizes to Camille and all of that, but obviously there's not gonna be a relationship with him. And so we go into this, the last part of the episode, and I think this will probably be the most controversial part is when Emma goes back to live with Camille in St. Louis, and everything seems to be going well. They actually make trips back to Wind Gap to see Adora's trial, and Emma goes to talk to Adora, and it's clear that Adora, even though she poisoned Emma, She is going, I guess, to take the fall for Emma. It wasn't fully clear to me if Adora knew that Emma had killed Natalie and Anne. That just wasn't clear to me if she actually knew. But she certainly wasn't saying anything. She wasn't saying, oh, well, it was Emma. She seems to be taking the fall for Emma. Which sort of surprised me because she's been poisoning her all this time, you know, and trying to kill her to a certain extent. But now she's willing to go to prison for her. And Camille writes like this final piece, I guess, um, about the whole situation. About her mother being arrested for murder and and all of this. And, and, you know, Frank Curry, the editor, is is reading it. And he's very moved by it. And um, she writes about the guilt that she felt at not saving Marion. But how by taking in Amma, she can care for Amma now and sort of save Amma the way she couldn't save Marion in a lot of ways. And it, I mean, what Frank Curry reads from it is just incredibly moving. And, and so that's an important part of this episode, I think. But that's also what makes it so tragic is that here she thought she was saving Amma, you know, getting Amma away from the danger. She doesn't realize that Amma is the danger you know, that because of the Munchausen, because of the abuse, because of the violence that she has, that has been inflicted on her, she has become a murderer. She has become a killer. You know, it's really about how trauma can turn a girl into a killer, how these years of abuse made her into that. Just like Adora's mother turned her into a killer. And so Emma makes a new friend in St. Louis and they spend time together. And then all of a sudden, one day, the mother of that friend comes by and asks if Camille has seen her. And she hasn't. So Camille goes and she's looking at the dollhouse in her apartment. I guess, obviously, the dollhouse that Emma brought from Wind Gap. And she finds a tooth in the dollhouse and she's holding it up. And all of a sudden, Amma appears at the door and she says, don't tell Mama. And that's how it ends. And then you think that it's over because the credits are running. And then all of a sudden, after some of these credits, there's these very brief flashes on the screen that show Emma strangling the new friend she's made in St. Louis. And also strangling and killing the other girls in Wind Gap. Anne and Natalie and what was also jarring about these these very brief scenes was that Emma was not alone when she was killing the girls in Wind Gap that it seemed like people were with her possibly the friends you know her friends and then at the very very end after more credits even more credits go by I didn't even know about this until I read something and it mentioned it at the very end then we see Emma in a white dress in the woods, and she is the woman in white that was mentioned much earlier in the series by a little boy that said when one of the girls disappeared or or whatever that he saw a woman in white so that's how it ends and I think a lot of people are processing this ending, struggling with this ending. I'm conflicted about it. Is it kind of brilliant in a way you know to have these things sort of staggered throughout the credits? It's it's unique for sure. You know, um, I've never come across a show where things like that happened after the credits started to roll. So it was new to me. I'm not saying it's never been done on a on a film or a TV series, but I have not encountered it. It just to me, I have conflicts with it, and I don't know if I actually like the ending. And I'm going to tell you why. And of course, everybody is entitled to their own opinions. This is just mine. The problem I have with the ending, first of all, it's very abrupt. You know, Emma comes, she says, don't tell mama, and Camille's holding this tooth, and that's it. For me, the whole point of this of the series has been about Camille trying to process trauma and trying to process different things we're given no chance or time to consider what finding out that Amma was the killer does to Camille. What does Camille feel about this? Her mother's in prison. Her sister, Marion's dead. These two girls are dead. And she finds and she realizes that Amma is the real killer. What does Camille think? What does she feel? What is going through her head? How does she react? Like... (laughs) That's important to me personally to see that I don't, I never expected this show to put a bow on it. I am absolutely comfortable with shows that are ambiguous, with with films that are ambiguous, that are unresolved, that don't always put a bow on things and tell you who the killer is and, and wrap everything up perfectly um, in a package for you. I'm not asking for that. But I am asking that when a show has centered throughout the entire show the reactions, feelings, emotions of its heroine, its main character Camille Preaker, to just leave us with no sense of how she reacts or how she feels about this. It feels really unsatisfying to me and I will be honest about that. Second... um. We're not provided reasons for why Emma killed these three girls. We have no idea. Unless you go on Wikipedia, unless you go online and you uh, find out more information about Sharp Objects, the book, you have no idea why Emma killed these girls. Did she do it for fun? Did she do it because she was jealous that her mom was getting close to them, to these girls? Because we know that Adora had relationships with Anne and with Natalie, but why Why when um, Adora is put in prison, why does Emma kill the girl in St. Louis that has no connection to Adora? So we don't actually understand why she killed these girls at all. Is there a why? You know, is there ever really a why or any way to explain murders like this? Sometimes they do feel very inexplicable, but It's just like all of a sudden it's Amma and we're not given any time to process it. Like, I don't know. I just wish it had sort of ended in a different way, personally. And then, like I said, in those flashes, it looks like somebody is helping Amma. It looks like there's these other girls. So that's not resolved either. Are these girls going to be prosecuted? Like, what's going to happen with that? Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot there, right? Um, so, for me, right now, I, I watched it today. I'm sharing with you my thoughts and feelings in the immediate aftermath of seeing it. I'm, I'm giving you my gut reaction. I've not read other think pieces, other opinion pieces about it because I wanted to give my own thoughts and my own opinion about it. Um, I don't hate the ending. You know, I think I, I guess I understand what Jean-Marc Valet was trying to do, but to me, it's just very abrupt, and it leaves a lot of unanswered questions for me personally, and I think the thing that bothers me the most is just not being able to know how Camille reacts, or what Camille does, or what this does to Camille, how this affects her, you know, um... That was really important to me, and that's just what I have emphasized throughout the series. That for me, it's always been about Camille. It's not been about the crime. It's not been about the murderer and who done it, and you know this police procedural. I feel like the show really tried to subvert that. You know, if you're going there looking for something like crime scene investigation, you know CSI, the CBS show. If you're looking for Law and Order, SVU. That's not what you're going to find in sharp objects. What you're really going to find is a portrait of a family haunted by trauma and mental illness and violence between women. You know, that's what this is about about the damage that our own family can do to us, the damage that can be done to us in our childhood. The way trauma lives inside of us, inside of our bodies and our minds, even well into adulthood. Um, it's about mental illness. You know, It's always been about those things for me. It's always been about grief and the way the dead haunt the living. And it's been about memory. It's been about how trauma affects memory these flashbacks, these fragments of memory that sort of stick in you like shards of glass that you can never get out of your mind and and out of you. Um, As long as you are alive, as long as you are living, you are remembering and you are shaped by the past and formed and malformed by the past. That is the truth for me and for my life. And I felt like this show captured that. And this show made me very emotional. and I think this show is on sort of another level for me that in the last few years, this is probably one of my favorite shows that I've seen and that has emotionally affected me. And so I wanted to know, you know, once that spoiler happened for me and I knew that Emma was the killer, what I wanted the big the problem with it is that I feel like the show, the whole time, the series was about subverting that, that stuff, you know, the, oh, the big reveal, oh, who's the murderer? That's not what the show's about. The show's about trauma and women's relationships and violence. And, you know, it's, and it's impressionistic and emotional. And, and then what it does at the very end is go against that in a way. That, oh, this whole time it wasn't about who the murderer is. It wasn't about the police procedural. It wasn't about the big reveal. It was about Camille and these women. And then all of a sudden it ends with revealing that Emma's the killer. And then it just stops. Like, to me, what would have been more effective, what would have been more in keeping with the series is to show that Emma did it in some form you know, however you want to reveal that, and then to go into the nuances and the emotional depths and the trauma of what finding out that Emma did it, what that does to Camille. That would have, because so many shows, so many of your classic police procedurals and stuff, that's what it's about. Revealing the killer. That's the catharsis, is who is the murderer? And for me, Sharp Objects was different from that. Sharp Objects was about going into the nuances and the complexities and the emotional life of its characters. It was about giving us that multi-dimensional exploration of these women and these characters. And the crime and the search for the killer and the clues, that was secondary and that was decentralized. It was about the effect of violence on people, the effect of crime. That's also what made a show like Broadchurch so great for me personally, was that I felt like Broadchurch was doing something similar, especially in the first season when it was looking at the grief caused by the death of a child, the grief that a family has to try to cope with. Um, it, It wasn't about the investigators as much or the crime itself or the murderer. It was about the aftermath of it and the trauma that it inflicted and how a family lives with that trauma. And so for me, that's sort of what Sharp Objects was doing. And so this ending, the more I talk about it, the more, the more I don't like it, actually, as I start to articulate it. Because this is the first time I'm articulating this, vocalizing it. Is that what would have been more meaningful and significant for me is if we had found out that Emma was the killer and we had then seen how Camille processes that and lives with that. Because she's already lost Marion. She couldn't save Marion and she couldn't save Emma either from her mother. She couldn't save Alice when she was in the mental hospital. So, what does this do to Camille? Does it precipitate another breakdown? Where does it lead her in life? That's what the series could have mined and explored. And that would have been more meaningful for me personally than to just end it at, oh, Emma's the killer. Oh, and here's her, you know, getting off on strangling these girls. It doesn't deal with it. It doesn't deal with what Amma did. It doesn't deal with. With this violence. It just shows us this violence. But then what are we supposed to do with it? You know. What does Camille do with it? I'll never know. I don't know what Camille does with it. Because the show didn't give us that. The show gave us the big reveal. But it didn't give us the aftermath. It did. It, 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 it denied us that it denied us seeing how does Camille respond to this what does she do because that's what I wanted to know I wanted to know oh my god once she finds this out what is she going to do is she going to have a breakdown is she going to be mad and angry you know what what are her emotions going to be um how is she going to process this how is she going to live with this how will she survive this added trauma, this added thing to her life? And the show didn't give me that. Yeah. And that kind of upsets me. But that's just my opinion. I'm coming from a particular view that I saw this show as being about, you know, so many things that are very emotional and and painful Um, But I always felt that they they dealt with these very painful things in a complex and nuanced way. And in sort of an elliptical, abstract, impressionistic way too. Um, Showing the way memory works. Showing a woman dealing with mental illness and trauma. And the things that happened to her when she was younger. And dealing with the past. And dealing with... A very difficult relationship with her mom, and you know, just all these things. And I felt like I don't know, I I felt really unsatisfied with the ending. But I'm sure other people really disagree and they love the ending and they think it's amazing. And I feel kind of cheated, I guess. But that's just my personal feelings. You know, the way that I connected with Camille, the way that I connected with the characters, that's just my feeling of it, you know so and I also want to say that I do not think there should be a second season I hope that there's not I loved Big Little Lies and I'm already worried about the second season like I know Meryl Streep's in it I you know I'm sure it'll be good but for me that first season was so powerful and so strong that I do wonder where they'll go with it next with Sharp Objects I cannot imagine a second season I have no idea where they would take it. And I feel like it should really stand alone as it is. You know, I think it's a work of art. I think it's one of the most important television shows I've ever seen in my life. But especially in the last few years. um, Just the emotional resonance that it has for me personally. And the things that it's made me think about. And the way that I've engaged with it. I just can't imagine a second season. So um, I hope that you've liked these recaps. I hope that I hope that they've offered you something. I know they haven't been perfect and I apologize if I've made mistakes or if I haven't been as articulate or as eloquent as I would like to be or if I've rambled or meandered. But this was just me um, talking about a show that really affected me, that really moved me. And I really hope that you got something out of it and that you do find some value in it, in me sharing my personal connection to this show and why it matters to me and why it's so important to me. So I'm going to stop here. It's been a great journey. It's been a great experience doing this for you. I'm sad to say goodbye, but if you feel like you've connected with something that I've said Please listen to my other episodes or subscribe and keep listening to my episodes about different films because this is how I talk about everything. You know, I talk about films and movies this way. I talk about television shows this way. I always center my emotional reaction to things and I talk about mental illness and I talk about depression and grief and really difficult and dark things sometimes in my reviews of film. So if you've liked this episode or you feel some kind of connection to what I'm saying, definitely check out the more than 70 episodes that I have about the films that I love and the films that have changed my life and moved me. So I thank all of you for listening to these recaps. And again, I hope that they've been helpful to you. And hey, if you have a differing opinion about the show, if you have a differing opinion about the um, finale and the ending definitely share it with me on social media I'm open to different interpretations but this is the way that I felt about it but I would be interesting I would be interested to hear the way um, the way you feel about it so I'll stop here thanks so much for listening bye for now